It's one of the favorite places that Jesus would go as he would uh, uh, preach about the, the kingdom of God. And he, he, became, he had become so popular by this time that when he showed up to, in Capernaum to teach, we are told that the house that he was uh, teaching in was so full that nobody could get in. I, now, I've, I've, I've stolen the Zacchaeus story um, just because it shows all of this crowd, okay? So Zacchaeus wasn't there, so, do, so, don't, get, so don't go uh, kind of crazy on me. But look, they, they, they just couldn't get in. It was so crowded, nobody could get in. Well, living in Capernaum was a man who we are told from the Bible could not walk. He was paralyzed. Now, we don't know if this was a lifelong thing, that, it, that this was a congenital uh, problem, or if something had happened to him later on in life. Maybe he uh, broke his back and, and could not walk. But all we know is that he was living in Capernaum, and he was paralyzed. And he had four friends who had heard that Jesus was coming through to Capernaum. And they had heard about Jesus and about all the miracles that he had done and what a good teacher he was. And so they decided that they wanted to bring their friend to see Jesus, which is very interesting because we've also kind of subtitled this whole flannel graph uh, series this summer is, I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus in these stories. Well, these guys wanted to see Jesus, but they wanted their friend to see Jesus just as badly because he needed some kind of help. He needed a healing. So they show up to the house, and like I said, the house was so full that they could not even get in, which tells me, I mean, if you were at a house and you were trying to listen to the guy inside the house talking, and, and four guys are bringing along their invalid friend on a, on a mat that they are carrying, wouldn't you make room for them? Wouldn't you say, hey, yeah, let, let me get out of the way? It's kind of like being on the bus and uh, seeing the, the elderly lady come in and, and, and just not getting up out of your seat. That would not be a, a good thing to do. Nobody's moving. They, they all want to hear Jesus, and it doesn't matter that this guy is crippled and can't even walk, and these four friends are bringing him in on the mat. They don't budge. So the friends look at the situation, and they say, well, I know what we'll do. We'll get up on the roof. Now, the roofs in, in those days were flat. They weren't pitched like our roofs are. And, and many times, the, the, the family that lived in the house would, during the summer months when it was really hot, they'd actually go and do a lot of their living up on top of their house. I mean, the, the, the ceiling, the roof was thick enough for people to be up there, not a problem without you know, the uh, uh, danger of the roof caving in. So these four men decided somehow to get their friend up onto the roof of the house. And while they were up there, and I'll, I'll put the crowd still over here trying to get in. And again, there's, there's Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus really wasn't there. You know that. But all of a sudden, these guys get up on top of the roof. And they begin to tear apart the roof. In fact, if, if you look at the gospel accounts in the original language, it says that they begin to de-roof the roof. They begin to de-roof the roof. They, they begin to, it was like they were trying to put a skylight in or something like that. I don't know. And, and as they did that, they made a hole in the roof large enough for them to lower their friend on his mat down into the room where Jesus was teaching. When Jesus saw the man after the four friends 
had lowered him down. Jesus looked at the man, and obviously, it was pretty obvious what these men were here for. They wanted to have their friend healed. Jesus looked at the man, and he said, My son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Well, that caused a commotion. There were all these people who were inside the house, and they heard what Jesus said. And they thought to, their, to themselves in their hearts, how can any person forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. And we're told in the Bible that Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing their heart, said to them, which is easier? Which is easier, to tell somebody that his sins are forgiven or to tell somebody to get up after being paralyzed for so long, pick up your mat and walk? Then he said, just so that you know that the Son of Man, one of his favorite uh, titles that he would bring upon himself, uh, the Son of Man, uh, so that you would know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Then he looked at the man and said, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately, it tells us in the, in, in the Bible, that the man got up, picked up his pallet and began to walk because he had been healed and now all of the people that were there were amazed because they had never seen anything like this before that's the story that we're going to be looking at today a story about four guys who are roof renovators skylight installers if you will now if you're my dad, who is a very creative thinker, what you find out is you begin to wonder about things like, okay, so who cleaned up afterwards? You know? It's like, oh, he's healed. But now we've got a problem because there's a hole in our roof. Um, how, did the, how did the owner of the house feel about this damaged property? Did he have insurance on his house? Probably not. Actually, during this whole thing, how long was it before the, the crowd listening to Jesus became so distracted that Jesus just kind of had to stop? Have you ever done that? Try to talk either uh, in a teaching environment or uh, maybe a preaching environment. You, you're, you're, uh, I've had to do this at summer camp where you have a bunch of uh, high schoolers or middle schoolers and, and you're outside and you get to teach your class outside and all of a sudden something happens. A dog runs by. And I found out you just have to stop and say, yes, look, guys, there's a dog. You can't pretend like it's not happening because everybody is watching that dog. It's a distraction, and you can continue to try to plow ahead fighting this distraction, or you can just say, hey, look, there's a dog. Yes, let's all watch the dog. Okay, the dog is now gone. Now let me get back to what I'm supposed to do. How long does Jesus... As he's talking, and all of a sudden you, you, you feel a little bit of crumbs, you know, some dirt coming down. And all of a sudden people start looking up, and maybe there's a shaft of light that comes in. And, and at this point, Jesus might have said, like, we interrupted this sermon to bring you a paralyzed man. Uh, please, please direct your attention to what's left of the ceiling, you know. Was the paralyzed man a little uneasy? You begin to wonder. I mean, he had to trust his friends not to drop him. I mean, I guess if, if never mind, I'm, I'm not going to go there. 
But uh, it, it, it might have been embarrassing as all of a sudden, I mean, everybody was here to see Jesus, and all of a sudden, you've just made this big hole in a roof, and now you've been let down on a mat, and now everybody's kind of making room, and now you're the center of attention. I know some of you would hate that, absolutely hate that. So did the guy want to say something like, hey, thought I'd drop in. (laughs) This morning, I want to point out what Jesus saw as the main point of this whole thing. We are in Mark chapter 2, so if you'll want to go to the Gospel of Mark, that's the second of our Gospels in the New Testament, Mark chapter 2. Mark's a great, uh, a, a great Gospel to study because it's so quick. It just immediately, immediately happen, things happen, and, and it's a very fast-paced book. But if you look there at verse 5, I, I want you to see what Jesus saw. I mean, everybody else saw a, a roof that had been ruined. Uh, they saw a paralyzed man that, that needed to be uh, helped. They, they, they saw a mess that needed to be cleaned up. They, they saw a lot of different things. What did Jesus see? Chapter 2, verse 5, says, when Jesus saw their faith, and, and he's talking about the faith of the four friends, by the way. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. A lot of times when you listen to uh, preachers on TV, sometimes um, th- these faith healers, uh, that they, they teach that it's dependent upon the person who is sick, their faith, whether they're going to get well or not. Um, I've heard too many stories about broken people that are seeking healing only to be not just disappointed because they were not healed by this faith healer, but they were actually shamed because the, the person who was unable to heal them said, well, you just must not have enough faith. It's very interesting that, that the faith that's in, that, that is talked about here in this story is not the man's faith, not the paralyzed man's faith. It was the four friends' faith. When Jesus saw their faith, this tells me that faith then is then something that can be seen. It can be demonstrated. It can be observed. Faith is not just some ethereal idea, this, this belief somewhere in the back of your, your brain or in, in, in the bottom of your heart. There's actually, well, when you look at the word faith in the New Testament, that, that, and even in the Old Testament, there's always an action that takes place with that faith. There's always some kind of concrete response to what you believe in. And, and so amazingly, what these four guys did in a roundabout way, in, in a, on a couple different levels, is that they, they had enough faith in God to let the sun shine in. Now obviously, they, they first let the sun shine in as they renovated the roof and installed the skylight. They let the sun shine into the physical place where Jesus was. But on another level... They were willing to be part of a process that let this hurting man, their friend who had suffered for so long, to actually have the sun, the son of God, the sun shine into his life, bringing about a radical change in his life. Today, I just want to encourage you guys that God calls you and I today to be roof renovators. to to be skylight installers as well. Because God has placed people in your life who, like the paralytic, find themselves in a hopeless situation, seemingly hopeless situation. Uh, These guys saw that their friend was in need, that in a sense he was 
living in darkness and needed to have that light shine on him. So what was it about these four friends that decided to let the the sun shine into their friend's life? What do we need to, to have in our life in order for God to say, hey, I put people in your life who are in darkness and that they need to have the sun shine in to their life as well. What do we need to have in, in our life in order to, to, to uh, make, this sense, make this make sense in our life? Well, number one, they cared. They cared. They cared. If you look at verses 1 through 3, it says, A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many, so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. These four men had either a relative or a friend who was suffering. And, and there was no way for him to be able to get to Jesus on his own. They had heard that Jesus was uh, back in Capernaum and they were convinced that Jesus could help their friend and so they had this unshakable, um, optimistic faith that Jesus could help. Whenever I, I, whenever I think about optimism, I think of a, an, old, an old story that I, I may have even uh, brought to you guys when I was preaching through the book of Philippians. But there, there was a man who had two sons one just totally pessimistic, always saw the negative. The, the glass was always half empty to, the, to this one kid. And the other boy, well, he was, a, he was always positive, cheery, Pollyanna, always saw the best in things, always saw the silver lining. The glass was half full. And, and uh, the, the, the dad thought, well, I wonder if I could uh, maybe change those, the, the, those things about my sons. So he put one of his sons into a room with a bunch of brand new toys, uh, boxes of games and, and gadgets and, and electronics and, and all these things, and he goes, son, this is all for you. And he shut the door and let, let his son stay in there. His second son, the, the, the one who was very optimistic, he, he put into another room that was filled with horse manure. Okay? Shut the door. Ba- about an hour later, he went in to go check on the first son, and his first son had not touched any of the toys. But he sat in the middle of the room just crying. And he goes, son, what's wrong? He goes, well, I, I see all of these things, but I, you know, I don't have any batteries. They, they probably need batteries, and, and you didn't give me any batteries, so I, I couldn't even play with them. I'd probably dis- be disappointed. I'd probably break them. And so, yeah, you know, so he saw the, the bad in that whole situation. The, the man said, okay, went to go visit his other son in the room with the manure. And the, the kid is just having a field day, diving into this manure, throwing it up and just rolling around in it, digging into it. And he goes, son, what are you doing? He goes, with this much poop, there's got to be a pony here somewhere. These friends, they saw their, their paralyzed friend, this man that needed help. And what they saw was... We have a solution. We know where you can find help in the midst of all of this crud in your life. We know that there could be a pony in there. There's something really good for you. So if they could somehow get their friend to see Jesus, they knew that Jesus could make a difference in their life. How about you? How convinced are you that Jesus can make a difference in 
the people around you, the, the, the people in your life, your, your friends, your, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, that Jesus could actually do something in their life that can change them. We're surrounded by people who are hurting, who, who cannot find a solution to their problems. The question is, is do you care enough to bring them to Jesus? You know, we have a lot of information about Jesus that we can share with people, but people, you've heard this, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Now, there were probably hundreds of sick people in in this region of Galilee, but these four guys concentrated on just one. It was a very simple step, one by one by one. I mean, you could look at the, the harvest field and, and be overwhelmed thinking, wow, there are so many people out there that need to, to know about who Jesus is. Why don't you start praying for one? Why don't you just start praying for one that God would lead you to, that you could begin to speak into their life and then bring them into a, into a place like this where they can begin to hear about who Jesus is. There are, there are hurting people living in spiritual darkness, desperately trying to find answers. They are like sheep without a shepherd, broken people in need of restoration, and you have the answer. I think that you believe that you have the answer. So are you willing to care about them enough to bring them to the one that can restore them? Number two, these these guys cooperated. One guy could not have done this all on their own, right? He just could not do that. Um, You've heard the old joke about how many... Blanks does it uh, take to change a light bulb? Uh, How how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb really has to want to change. Things like that. Well, how how many guys does it take to to bring the light into one man's life? Well, it actually took teamwork, didn't it? it? It took not just one guy being able to help one guy. It took four guys to get the paralytic there. It took teamwork. It took cooperation. That's what I love about the church. The church is not just one guy with everybody helping that one guy do everything. Now, the church is all about the fact that you each have individual gifts and abilities that God has given to you very specifically, either at your birth or at your rebirth when you became a Christian. And God then says, now I've gathered you into a body so that each one can do what I've asked you to do. Teamwork. Team, somebody one time says that team stands for together, everyone accomplishes more. Together as a team, these guys were able to do what none of them could have done individually. Well, when we have church, it's not just about, again, one guy doing it all and everybody else getting to to applaud and cheer him as he does it. You all are important to, to be able to bring people into the body because you will connect with people that I will never be able to connect with because of your unique backgrounds, because of your experiences. You will be able to talk to people that I would not ever be able to talk to. You will understand people that I will never understand. Maybe a hurt that you have had in your life, God will use that in a very specific way because somebody will come into this church that is in the exact same situation. And they're just waiting for somebody to say, I understand, and really mean it when they say, I understand I got a friend who comes to our third service, our, our 11 o'clock or 11.30 service, uh, a man named Richard. And Richard is kind of a jack of all trades, but Richard is a beekeeper. 
And, and my daughter, Donovan, uh, loves bees as well. So we've been now going up every about 10 days to, to check in on the bees. And, and, and he pulls out his hives. And it's, it's fascinating to see the, the, the teamwork that bees have. I mean, if you want to learn about teamwork, you, you look at bees. On a warm day, uh, about half the bees in the hive, they stay inside just beating their wings. That's all they're doing. Why? Because they need to, to maintain a, a, a um, homeostasis, this, this level, even amount of, 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 uh, of consistent temperature. The other half then go out to gather the pollen and, and the nectar. And then when one of them comes back, they go, they go down to, to a particular um, rack where the, the different hives are, and they transfer the pollen from themselves to another worker. And so this efficiency is everybody has their their thing that they do. And it's not for any of their individual uh, advancements. They're, they're, not a, they're not out there to promote themselves. But they are kept safe because of the colony or the society keeps them safe because for them what's important is that the, the team is doing what the team is supposed to do so that the entire hive is taken care of. See, that's the value of being a part of a church, of being part of a small group in a church, because that's your team. The Christian life was never meant to be a solo sport. We need each other. And in our efforts in letting the sun shine into people's lives, uh, you know, maybe you'll bring somebody in that you are just hoping somebody else in this church is willing to do their share so that your friend that you've brought will begin to, to understand where the light really is. Jesus knew that it was important to have a team. That's why he sent people out two by two when he gave them the test run because he knew that there was strength in numbers as well. So they, they cared. They cooperated. Then if you look at uh, verse 4, they conquered obstacles. Verse 4 says, Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. If you were to travel to the ruins of uh, the ancient city of Capernaum, you would see that the passages between the houses are very, very narrow. There's barely enough room for two people to actually pass by each other. And so, first of all, just getting to the house would have been an obstacle. Then once they got to the house, there was another obstacle. The crowd was there, and the crowd was not being very nice and letting them in. And, and so, they, okay, that's their second obstacle. Then, then once they get to the top of the house, they've got this roof that is, has been layered with thatch and, and mud and thatch and mud and, and all of these different things that, that makes this roof very, very thick, very, very steady, almost uh, uh, hard as a rock. Any one of those things, they could have turned around and said, forget it. This is not worth it. Uh, the, the streets are not worth it. The, the, the crowd is not worth it. I, I mean, seriously, I, I have looked at uh, pictures of, um, well, before COVID hit, I saw pictures of Disneyland. I was like, I don't want to go there anymore. I don't. That's, that's, for me, I would just say, forget it. Then, then once they looked at the roof and say, how are we going to do this? I mean, each one of those places, at each one of those junctures, they could have turned around and said, forget it. It's not worth it. I guarantee you that there will be obstacles when you want to bring your friends or your family members to see Jesus. I, I guarantee you that once you want to bring the sun into their lives, to shine into their lives, the enemy is not going to just roll over and let you take ground. He's not. There are going to be obstacles. 
Sometimes they, those are just physical, natural obstacles, and many times they are spiritual obstacles. There, there will be narrow pathways. There, there will be crowds outside the door. There will be a thick, multi-layered roof. Yes, there is victory in Jesus, but there's also a spiritual war going on, we're told, in the Bible. You start to make progress into the darkness, and the God of this world, Satan, who blinds people to the truth, will continue to throw obstacles in your way. Uh, let me just tell you on a personal note, when COVID hit, and the order to shelter in place at home had come down from on high, I got to tell you, I was discouraged. I was stumped. How in the world are we going to do church when we can't gather for church? Are we going to fight it? Oh, I wanted to fight it at first, man. I wanted to protest. You can't tell us what to do. Separation of church and state. Come on. You can't tell us how to live our lives and how to worship. And then I thought, nah, this is going to be so bad. We're not going to be able to do church. But you know the rest of the story. God made a way, didn't he? God showed us a way. And, and it was in a way that in, involved things, check this out, that I had wanted to do for a long time. I, I have friends who have been on uh, Facebook uh, and, and do live streaming of their services for a long, long time. I, I thought, how are we going to do that? Uh, we, we have to get more people involved and things like that. So, so is that worth it right now? Um, uh, I, I wanted people to, to be involved uh, on a different level and, and, and more people to be involved. And, and, I, and apparently, once COVID hit, guess what? God opened up the doors for all of those things to happen. Um, and, and he used the obstacles as actually as an opportunity for us to take our message far beyond these walls. And now, who knows how many people watch uh, on, on uh, YouTube? Who, who knows how many people are being uh, touched by these, the, the, these messages or the, the time of worship that prepares our hearts for the message. So that's how these guys did it. They, 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 wanted, they, they saw the resistance. They saw the obstacles, and they would not let those obstacles stop. They, they realized that they were actually an opportunity for them to show God's power in very creative ways. Creativity. Boy, sometimes you, you got to, when you're thinking about bringing people to the Lord and letting the light shine into their life, sometimes you got to be a little bit creative in the way that you speak to people and the, the way that you invite them. Um, what are some ways that you can come up with um, to, to, to expose the person to, to the light and to the life of Jesus Christ? Maybe you can utilize some of the excellent movies that have been coming out, like I Still Believe or breakthrough movies that you could just you know show at home and and invite people in and maybe that begins to lead to a a conversation about spiritual things maybe you can think of a of a situation that a friend is going through and you know of another christian who who can relate who has been through that same kind of thing so maybe you can serve as kind of the the one that connects those two people maybe it'll just be begin when you uh, you begin to reach out and fill a need that one of your neighbors has out of the blue, you just you see that your neighbor needs uh, mowing of the lawn or a painting of a wall or whatever, and, and you can do that. And, and maybe you just go and do that with no strings attached and see what God does. There's, there's a lot of ways to get over the, critic, uh, the, 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 the obstacles, and you can conquer those. The fourth thing is they continued through criticism. 
I find that when you start reaching into the darkness, it might surprise you that it's not just the enemy that opposes you, but sometimes it's people on, on your side, other believers who, who have a problem with what you're doing because the people that you are bringing in are a little, make them a little uncomfortable. It can be very surprising until you realize that for some people, the, the process of conviction and re- repentance is very, very messy. And then you'll find out the people who have their lives together already, they don't like messes anymore. Uh, when, I was, when I was working uh, with a church down in Napa, California, we had a, a singles ministry. Well, the singles ministry is, is a great opportunity to reach out to people who have either been divorced or they've never been married and they're very lonely. Uh, they, they're getting on uh, in, in their 30s and 40s and 50s, uh, some of them in their 60s. And, and, and when you are single, you have to go through a lot of stuff. It gets messy. But Jesus cleans up that mess. It's, it's pretty amazing how he does that. And what we were noticing were that these singles that had gotten cleaned up and that they were on a brand new path to life and they were excited about this group, new people started to come in that were messy. And these guys were going, well, we don't want, we don't want them. We don't want them in here because that's very, very messy. And I go, time out. You were there one time. You cannot exclude these people because they need to find what you have found. What would you do if somebody started to dig a hole in your roof? (laughs) See, this is where the the rubber meets the road. All of a sudden, uh, your ox is getting gored. It's your house that's getting messed up. It's your Sunday school that's getting uh, bumped. It's it's your um, time of service that may be changed. And you go, I don't want any of that stuff. That because that, that just is, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. Boy, it's easy to miss what God wants to do in people's lives. The, the deacon who gets angry at the youth minister for the hole that was kicked in the wall at the overnighter where four kids had given their life to Jesus. Or, or the, the, that deacon's focus on the damage might blind him to the results, the real results of the overnighter which was way more constructive than the destruction that had, that had happened. Or the congregation members who feel very uncomfortable with a newcomer that comes in and looks a little different than they do, uh, maybe has a different shade of skin color, or uses a different vocabulary, or uses a different way of dressing or expressing themselves. Praise God that Jesus saw right the, the right thing in the story. He knows that this man is infinitely more important than a roof, And he also saw that the greatest need that this man had had nothing to do with the use of his legs. What does he say to the man in verse 5? He says to him, son, your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus looked through all of that stuff. He saw their faith. He saw that they cared, they cooperated, that they conquered obstacles, and that they would move through criticism. And he saw the most important thing was the spiritual condition of this man's heart. The man needed forgiveness even more than he needed healing. And so that was the thing that Jesus addressed. But at that point, the four friends who were ready to face the criticism realized that they were in good company because as soon as Jesus saw what the core issue was, he was criticized as well. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, uh, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? (laughs) Well, do these guys not want the man to be forgiven? What's their problem? 
Instead of praising Jesus, they criticize him. Man, if there was ever a time for a lesson in what is important, it's right here. And Jesus says to them, listen, which is a bigger miracle? To heal somebody of their physical condition or to heal them of their spiritual devastation? You all expected me to heal this man, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. But I'm not here, Jesus says, for your physical comfort. I'm here to make you right with God. So, so just so that you know that the, that the Son of Man does have power to forgive sins, then go ahead, friend. Get up. Take up your bed. Get out of here. And look what happens in verse 12. It says, He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Do you know why we can't give up in light of the obstacles that, that, and the criticism that might come our way? Because people matter to God. People matter to God. People need to reconnect with their creator. And we're told in the Bible that there's only a way for that to be possible. And folks, you know what that way is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. So again, if we know the truth that can set people free, if, if we have the, the source of light, if we know where the source of light is to shine into their life, then why don't we start to, to do roof renovations and install skylights in people's lives? Right now, I invite to DC and the team to come on and back up. Now, out of all of these characters in the story, which one do you see yourself most like? Are, are you the paralytic? Not physically hurting, but definitely bound by sin and in need of forgiveness. Or, or maybe you identify more with the four friends who, who uh, are hoping to, to bring their, their, their friend in to see Jesus, to let that sun shine into, into their life. But some of you might find yourself more like the crowd. You, are, you enjoy the fact that God has given you grace. Uh, you've made it into the house. You've been able to get close to Jesus, but in a very real sense, you're kind of getting in the way of other people getting there themselves. Ouch. That doesn't sound very good. But it, sometimes it's true, unfortunately. Sometimes we get in the way because we don't want to make room for those who need to find Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, the, the great preacher, one time had a sermon called Sitting By. And it was based on this story. And he basically was saying that these here were the, the teachers of the law that were just sitting by, getting in the way. And he was basically telling his congregation, you need to get out of the way. And he says, in in fact, if you're only coming here to just sit and watch, don't even come. Well, the people that week committed themselves to not just sit by. They were going to be like the friends in this story rather than the the crowd. And and when Spurgeon came to to church the next Sunday, what he saw was amazing. It was as if every single member of that church had brought somebody who needed Jesus. Hundreds of people were led to Jesus Christ that day. and And that began a spiritual awakening in London that lasted many years. That gives me chills. It gives me chills to know that God entrusts his message of hope and reconciliation to us. He has given us the light of his son. And then he says, now get out of the way. Now get out of the way and let the people through that need to see my son. 
I, I figured, you know what, would be a great thing to, to end our service with? By singing a song that I learned when I was watching those flannel graph stories. And it begins with all of us holding up one finger. Can we do that? Make, it, make sure it's this finger right here. And we would sing, this little light of mine. Right there, that's a candle. I'm going to let it shine. Remember that one? This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I've asked DC if we could actually do that song at the very end of our service, and he said absolutely. So, well, let me ask you to stand. I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to sing that song, and then you are dismissed.